The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. Everybody, it's Rabbi Mel. I'm back. It's good to be back. I hope you think this. Do you feel the same way? You know, we have lots of listeners who are across the world, and I want to thank you for for listening. And you could be. It could be two in the morning for you. I don't know what time it is, but I really want to thank you for your trust in me and for what I have to teach. Let me just say again that if you want to talk to me on air, you can call 888-346-9141. That's the Voice America Empowerment number. And if you want to email me after the show or during the show, it's Rabbi Mel, M-E-L, Rabbi, R-A-B-B-I, Mel, at griefok.com. So tonight we're going to talk about lessons that we learn after being with the death of a loved one. And I have two articles which I may or may not get through because you know me, I always have what to add and I intend to do that. And so We'll see what happens, but I'm going to start out with a blockbuster concept that I never thought of until I read this article. This article is, you could find this article, uh, the website, it's called Project Fuel, F-U-E-L, and the website is at HTTP, um, you know the story, Project Fuel, dot in for India forward slash blog forward slash project fuel dot in for India forward slash blog blog forward slash and it's called 12 life lessons from a man who has seen 12,000 deaths I don't know about you but I don't plan to be around this earth long enough to see 12,000 deaths. I'm going to tell you very shortly how he is, has seen 12,000 deaths. So his name is Be'arav Nath Shukla, 
and he has been the manager of Mukti Bahawan for 44 years. Now, Mukti Bahawan is a guest house in the city where he lives where people check in to die. I was blown away by that. It's like you go to a hotel. It's better than hospice. They take better care of you. Um, it's a guest house where people check in to die. And they're treated with dignity and with honor and with love. And there are three of these in the city in, in India. It doesn't say what city it is, but he's been the manager for 44 years. He's seen rich and poor take refuge in the guest house in their final days and await a death and hope to find peace. Shukla hopes with and for them. He sits on the wooden bench in the courtyard against the red brick wall and shares 12 recurring life lessons from the 12,000 deaths he has witnessed in his experience of the Mukti Bahawan. So I'm going to share with you those 12 lessons and perhaps embellish a little bit. And we'll see what happens. Then you can feel free to email me if you like. Lesson number one, resolve all conflicts before you go. We've talked a lot about that. Shukla recounts the story of Sri Ram Sagar Micher, a Sanskrit scholar of his times. Misher was the oldest of six brothers and was closest to the youngest one. Years ago, he says, he writes, an ugly argument between the two brothers led to the wall. One of them built a wall to partition the house. In his final days, Misher walked to the guest house carrying his little case and asked to keep room number three reserved for him. He was sure he would pass away on the 16th day from his arrival. On the 14th day, he said, ask my estranged brother of 40 years to come see me. This bitterness makes my heart heavy. I am anxious to resolve every conflict. A letter was sent out. On the 16th day when the youngest brother arrived, Misha held his hand and asked to bring down the wall, dividing the house. He asked his brother for forgiveness. Both brothers wept and mid-sentence, Misha stopped speaking. His face became calm. He was gone in a moment. Shukla has seen this story replay in many forms over the years. People carry so much baggage unnecessarily all through their life, only wanted to drop it at the very end of their journey. The trick lies not in not having conflicts, but in resolving them as soon as one can, says Shukla. That's his first lesson. Now, we've talked a lot about that, and I teach a lot about that in classes 
in my temple, in churches around town, in groups. And I've, and I've talked to you a lot about that on these programs. And you know what I say, there are four things you got to do before you die. You got to forgive. You got to apologize. You have to thank whoever it is. You have to say, I love you. Then you have to say goodbye. And if you do those things, you can die clean, as I like to say. You can die in peace. That's what happened to these two brothers. And it happened because there was forgiveness and there was apology. And they forgave each other for whatever it was that they had to forgive each other. And so he could die in Mishur could die in peace. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two. Simplicity is the truth of life. He writes, people stop eating indulgent food when they know they're going to go. The understanding that dawns on many people in their final days is that they should have lived a simpler life. They regret that the most, says Shukla. A simple life, as he explains, can be attained by spending less. We spend more to accumulate more and thus create more need. To find contentment in less is the secret to having more. One ancient rabbi asked the question, I, I would like to add, who is really rich? In Hebrew, Ezehu Ashir, who is wealthy? And the answer is, Hasameach Bechelko, he who is satisfied with his lot in life. So you don't have to be wealthy, you don't have to be rich, you just, you know, just cool it, just simplify your life. Don't eat so much, don't spend so much, don't live in so much. You know what he means, and you know what I mean. And you know it's the truth, but we can't help ourselves sometimes. I eat too much, do you? I try to eat less, it's not easy. I try not to spend more than I need. I try to buy things that I need, not just that I want, but you know what, life's difficult. And if you got a couple dollars in your pocket or you got a credit card that you just gotta use, well, you gotta use it. So the second lesson is simplicity is the truth of life. Lesson number three, filter out people's bad traits. Shukla maintains that every person has shades of good and bad. But instead of dismissing bad people outrightly, we must seek out their good qualities. Harboring bitterness for certain people comes from concentrating on their negatives. If you focus on the good qualities, though, you spend that time getting to know them better or maybe even loving them. I've seen that. You've seen that. 
I say all the time to you and everybody else, good people make mistakes sometimes and maybe more than sometimes. Good people make mistakes and sometimes those mistakes hurt us. And sometimes those mistakes will take us away from them. We stop being their friends because they've said something hurtful. Well, you know, everybody, if, if you give me a sheet of paper and you said to me, Rabbi Mel, draw a line down the center of the sheet of paper. And on one side, you write your good traits. And on the other side of the line, you write your bad traits. I would have no problem at all writing my good traits, but I would be, oh my God, it would take me so long to think of a bad trait. Sound familiar? If you asked me to write a sheet, of, fill out a sheet about you, probably wouldn't take me long to write your bad traits. And I would add some good traits, but you know what I'm saying. That's what he's saying. He's saying there are good people who make mistakes. Try to ignore them. Try to understand. Maybe they're in a bad mood that day. Maybe they're in pain from something. You don't know. All you know is they hurt you. Well, that's what forgiveness is all about. So you try to filter out people's bad traits. Number four, be willing to seek help from others. To know and do everything by yourself might feel empowering, but it limits one from absorbing what others have learned. Shukla believes we must help others, but more importantly, have the courage to seek help when we're in need. Boy, I could talk all night about that. It's so hard, isn't it, to seek out help? You know, I was uh, divorced, and we went to counseling. And of course, we both thought that we were both perfect, and we didn't make any mistakes. It was the fault of the other one. Not us, God forbid. So we eventually worked it out in some reasonable way, but it was hard for me and it was hard for my wife to make the decision to go to counseling. We didn't have to go to counseling, but we decided we did. We wanted to. Every person in the world knows more than us in some respect, and their knowledge can help us only if we're open to it. So Rabbi Mel would add, it, it, it's hard to do that because we're embarrassed. We think they're judging us. Counselors, psychiatrists, psychologists, they don't judge us. They try to help open us up and see what's going on inside. So he, Shukla continues. He recounts the incident of an old woman being admitted on a rainy day back in the 80s. The people who got her there left her without filling the inquiry form. A few hours later, the police came to trace the relatives of the old lady, who, they said, were runaway Naxalites. It's like a tribe. Shukla pretended to not know nothing. The police left. 
When the lady's relatives returned next morning, Shukla asked the leader uninhibitedly, when you can kill five to eight people yourself, why didn't you simply shoot your nanny and cremate her yourself? Why did you make me lie and feel ashamed? The grandson fell to his knees and pleaded for forgiveness, saying no one amongst them is capable of helping his religious grandmother attain salvation. He respects that. And that's the reason why he brought her to Mukti Bahwan. I'm not sure I understand that perfectly, but it has to do with seeking help and not resenting others for trying to help you with your situation. Number five, find beauty in simple things. Mukti Bahwan plays soulful bhajans and devotional songs three times a day. Some people, he says, stop and admire a note or the sound of the instruments as if they had never heard it before, even if they have. They pause to appreciate it and find beauty in it. But that's not true of everyone, he adds. People who are too critical or too proud are the ones who find it hard to find joy in small things because their minds are occupied with seemingly more important things. What he's really saying is that when you're dying, you get it. When you're dying, you pay attention. When you die, when you're dying, you notice the beauty around you, which is always different, often different than when you're living. When you're living, somebody could be playing beautiful music, but you got to go to work or you got to buy a lottery ticket or you got to go to school or something, and so you often ignore them. So that's five, he's got um, seven more, and after the break, we'll get back and learn some more from Shukla. Don't go anywhere, I'll be right back. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. 
That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, everyone. My mouth's back. Um, you know, I love that music so much that I hum it whenever you hear it. I hear it, too, and I just, I love it. I picked it out. It's You think it's easy to pick out a melody to introduce a grief show? It's not. It's not. You don't want to have rock music on, but I didn't want to have any sad music either. So I picked out some the music that you hear. And I love it. We're talking about lessons learned by a, a gentleman named um, Bhairav Nath Shukla, who lives in India, and he has observed uh, 12,000 deaths. Why has he observed 12,000 deaths? Because he's like the innkeeper for 44 years in the guest house in their village as they await death and hope to find peace. Uh, So he's got 12 lessons that um, we're going through. And again, if you missed missed the beginning of the show, I'll tell you that you can find this. If you like it, it's on Project Fuel, F-U-E-L dot I in for India forward slash blog B L O G forward slash. So we've been talking about the things that the lessons that he has learned from watching 12,000 people die and being with them. So lesson number six acceptance is liberation. Most people shirk away from accepting what they are going through. This constant denial breeds in them emotions that are highly dangerous. Only once you accept your situation is when you become free to decide what to do about it. Without acceptance, you are always in the gray space. When you are not in denial of a problem, you have the strength to find a solution. Indifference, avoidance, and denial of a certain truth, Shukla believes, cause anxiety. They develop a fear of that thing in the person. Instead, accept the situation so you are free to think what you want to do about it and how. Acceptance will liberate and empower you. He says, and of course he's right. He's absolutely right. 
I um, we're, we're afraid sometimes to accept the reality. You know, we uh, we judge and we um, we give values to different kinds of things that really are just things that happen to us. I mean, if they happen to us, they happen to us. There's not much you can do about it. Doesn't help us to give judgment. Don't, you know, they used to talk about one of the stages of grief was denial. Well, now us grief people, we don't, we don't believe in denial. If your loved one dies, you can't deny that he or she died. You know that they died. You, it, it, you can't be in denial. But some people go on as if, as if life hasn't changed for them. And they refuse to accept that they're going to have to accept a different kind of life. It's, they're going to be new, new people. New people. Um, life is going to be different for them. And they have no idea, and that's scary, and that makes them afraid, and they're afraid to move forward. I understand that. So do you. Happens to us all when somebody dies. So he says you have to accept everything. Just sort of be calm and figure out what you're going to do about what happened. Don't judge yourself. Don't judge the person who died. Just deal with it and make your plans and see how you're going to become a different kind of person. It's liberation, he says. I had lunch just today, this afternoon, with a woman whose kids um, live, both kids live a thousand miles away from her. One lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and one lives in Montana. And they're doing, they're both doing things, well, one especially is, is doing things that she, mama doesn't like. And we had lunch, and we talked about it, and we agree that since mama has no control, what good does it do to worry about it? Yeah, you love your kids, you worry about them, but you don't, you don't put them over your life. You don't make them more important than you. And we have all made mistakes in growing up. We've all made decisions that upset somebody. That's the way it is. That's the only way people learn. I talk to people all the time in my counseling. And they say, my parents cannot accept uh, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And I say, well, you know what? Try not to make it your problem. It's not your problem. It's their problem. They're different than their parents, and you're different than your parents. That's what you tell them. They taught you to live your own life, and that's what you're doing. So you love them, and you are free to choose your own lifestyle. Lesson number seven. Accepting everyone is the same makes service easier. What does he mean? The secret to Shukla's unfazed dedication and determination towards his demanding job 
can be understood via this life lesson. He admits that life would have been difficult if he treated people who admit themselves uh, to Mukti Bahwan differently based on their caste, creed, color, and social or economic status. Categorization leads to complication, and one ends up serving no one very well. He says, the day you treat everyone the same is the day you breathe light and worry less about who might feel offended or not. Make your job easier, he says. Now, you know, he lives in India. They got caste systems still today. You're not supposed to marry up uh, over, above your caste or below your caste. You're supposed to marry somebody. It's like you got to marry in, in America, we would say, you have to marry somebody in your own socioeconomic group. Well, it doesn't happen all the time. That's life. Get over it. So he says, the way to make it easier is to accept everyone as the same. I would say theologically, we are all created in the holy image of God. We don't know what God looks like. We Jews believe God doesn't look like anything. Christians see Jesus and call him God. Um, Buddhists have Buddha to look at, but we Jews don't have anybody to look at. So how can we be created in the image of God if we believe God doesn't look like anything? Well, the rabbis of old say just as God, it doesn't mean the physical image. To be created in the image of God means just as God feeds the hungry, so should you feed the hungry. Just as God comforts the mourners, so should you comfort the mourners. Just as God gives hope to the sad, downtrodden, so should you live your life by comforting those who are unhappy. The goal of Judaism, by the way, and I believe it's the goal of every religion, it should be, is what we call in Hebrew, tikkun olam, repairing the world. We say that God left the world uh, not finished, unrepaired, and it's our job. Why did he create us? Created us because he needed partners to finish creating the world that he had begun. So Mukti says, treat everybody the same. Everybody's created in God's holy image. If you treat them as if they're created in God's holy image, then they will begin to act as if they are in God's holy image. You treat them differently, then the power struggles are going to begin. And there you go. Lesson number eight. When, if or when you find your purpose, do something about it. What does that mean? To have awareness about one's calling is great but only if you do something about it. A lot of people, Shukla says, know their purpose, but don't do anything about realizing it, making it come to life. Simply sitting on it is worse than not having a calling in the first place. Having a perspective towards your purpose, your life purpose, will help you measure the time and effort you need to dedicate to it. While you're caught up in what you think, you can't let go or escape. Take action on what truly matters. You know, there are people that you and I know, and you 
could be out there. You know, uh, I have 11,000 listeners listening to my voice from all over the world. So I'm talking to every one of you. You You have a mission in life. You know you do. Some of you have acted on that mission and some of you have just sat on that mission. So one of life's lessons is, if you got a mission, you got to act on it. Let's say your mission is uh, feeding the hungry. Well, you got to start a food bank or get active in a food bank or start a project or you got to feed people. Whatever your mission is, you can't just say, my mission in life is blah, 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 because that's useless. You're going to get yourself nowhere. And you're not going to repair the world. You're just going to, you're just going to sit there and be lazy and, and stay the way you are. But that's not what the God that I believe in wants. If you have a mission in life, go for it. You will see that the world will be a better place if you do that. Lesson number nine. Habits become Values. Shukla recommends cultivating good habits to be able to house good values. And building good habits happens over time with practice. It's like building a muscle. You have to keep at it every day. I work out three days a week. I don't like it. But it helps. My muscles are getting stronger, you know. Keep doing it. It becomes a habit. Till one doesn't consistently work toward being just or kind or truthful or honest or compassionate, every single time he is challenged, one cannot expect to attain that quality. There you are. What else do you need to know about life? If you want to be kind and you want to be truthful and you want to be honest, you want to be compassionate, but you're not, you don't act on that habit it's, it's never, it's never going to happen. If you don't practice and work at doing what you say you want to do and being who you say you want to be, you never will be that person. I had a woman once who came to me for counseling. I may have said this once before, and she was so upset because her husband had died five years ago, and she could not lay him gently down. And she just, her kids wouldn't talk to her because she was always unhappy. She, once a month, she ate with a group of other widows and she would cry and complain about her husband's death. And they told her, what do you think, who do you think we are? We got the same problems you do. You get over it. You just, you mourn and you move forward. Well, she couldn't deal with it. So I said to her, okay, you have a beautiful smile. Oh, I gave her my book to read. I said, come back when you're done. So she came back up, she read my book, GPS for Grief and Healing. All you got to do is Google GPS for Grief and you'll go right there to Google to uh, Kindle. GPS for Grief. That's all you got to do. So I gave her my book and I said, read the book, come back to see me. So she came back to see me, and it was evident in 10 seconds she hadn't read a page of my book. 
And she was still moaning and groaning. And I decided I'm not putting up with her. So I said to her, you know, you have a beautiful smile. You want to be happy or do you want to be sad the rest of your life? She said, I want to be happy, Rabbi. I said, good. So practice smiling. You have a gorgeous smile. So for the next seven days, I want you to just practice smiling. Wherever you go, whoever you talk to, wherever you find yourself, you smile. You will find that after seven days, you're going to be a changed human being. You will be happy because you exercised that muscle of smiling. She said, oh, what a wonderful idea. Thank you so much. She walked out of my study, and the next day she joined the other synagogue in town which now I see is pretty funny, but pretty sad at the same time. Because I wouldn't, you know, I would not cure her, because I couldn't. She wanted to come to somebody who was a magician and would make her pain go away. I couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. She obviously couldn't do that. So she left me. And she joined another synagogue. Well, oh, well, I can't help everyone if they're not willing to help themselves. She was not willing to help herself become a new kind of person after her husband died. And so it's as if he were still alive. And we've talked about that. The dead stay alive, and the ones who are alive, their lives are deadened by the loss, and they they don't want to do, they can't do anything about it, because they're not willing to go talk to somebody like me, or other grief guys in the world. They're not willing to get better. So go talk to somebody if you need to, and understand that you're going to have to develop new habits. Period. That's what you're going to have to do. Unless you want to stay the way you are, miserable and unhappy. And I often ask people, you want to live this way for the next 20 years or not? No, I don't. I said, well, you know what? If you don't make the changes in your life that you know you have to make, you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. Well, I don't want you to be miserable, so I'm going to give you a break. And I will be right back. We'll talk some more. Bye. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. 
Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Kind of catchy, isn't it? I love that melody. So we're down to the last three lessons that our friend Shukla, who is a, he's like a, he's like, um, uh, owns a hotel in India somewhere. It's a, it's, uh, it's not a hotel. It's not a hospice. It's a place he calls it a guest house where people check in to die. A guest house. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could treat the dying as guests? I think that would be lovely. Instead, we try to keep them alive longer when we shouldn't. We have no right to do that. So we keep them breathing on breathing tubes after, even after their hearts, have, after their brains are done they're done. There's no brainwave activity, but we won't let them die natural death. We, we keep the breathing tube in and we keep them breathing. The only reason we should do that is if you're going to donate your body parts uh, for transplant. Okay? And you must do that. Put it on your driver's license. If it isn't there, I want you to put it there because you can save somebody's life. You donate your eyes, you can save somebody's life because he or she can see again. Think about that. It's the best thing you can do. It's the highest level uh, act of compassion you can do. Give If your heart is strong, give your heart. Transplant your heart. Let somebody else live with your heart. They're writing about it more and more. More people are doing it. I, it's on my driver's license. You got to do it. Okay, let's finish up. Okay, let's see. Uh, Lesson number 10. Choose what you want to learn. In the vastness of the infinite amount of knowledge available to us, it is easy to get lost and confused. The key lesson here is to be mindful of choosing what you deeply feel will be of value to you, he says. People might impose subjects and philosophies on you because it interests them. 
And while you must acknowledge their suggestions, the wise thing to do is delve deeper into what rejoices your own heart and mind. With a smile on his face, Shukla says, in the last days of their life, a lot of people can't speak, walk, or communicate with others with as much ease as they could earlier. So they turn inwards and start to remember the things that made their hearts sing once. Things they care to learn more about over the course of their life, which enriches their days now. It's sort of like they become kids again. And I use that in a good sense. You know, when you're, when you're a kid, you're, a ch- you're, you're carefree. You want to play with the world. You want to enjoy yourself. You want to laugh. You want to jump. You want to have friends and talk to them and be with them. But life gets in the way, and then you got to go to school, and then you got to go to work, and you know the story. And then you walk in at the end of the day, and you're 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 just so tired that you you can't play like you used to. Now, some people make time for hobbies and things like that. I know a guy has a he has tennis dates two days a week, no matter what. And he's a doctor, and he and he manages to put that into his schedule because he doesn't want to give it up. Been playing tennis since he was a kid. Well. So Shukla is saying that as you approach your death, you, in a sense, and these are my words, you become younger again. You enrich your days now with what used to enrich them when you were a kid. I think that's lovely. It's lovely. Uh, You know, there's a story of a famous former Supreme Court Justice, I can't remember her name, but her husband has Alzheimer's, so she put him in a um, extended care facility, and he stopped knowing who she was. And what do you know? He fell in love with a woman who was in this place, and they were best friends, and they went around everywhere together. So, of course, the New York Times and the Washington Post, to pick up on these things, you know, went to the former Supreme Court justice and said, uh, how do you feel about that? You know, you're still legally married, but he doesn't know who you are. And even worse, he's got himself a girlfriend. Well, she said, to tell you the truth, I'm thrilled because I want him to be happy. And even if he doesn't know who I am, he knows when I'm there visiting, he knows that I'm somebody who was special in his life. I see it in his face. It sort of lights up in a way. And I can tell that he knows there's something special about me. Meanwhile, I'm happy even though he doesn't remember who I am and how we were married for 40 years, I am happy because he is happy. And that brings me joy. Now there's a happy woman. She knows what it's about. I mean, you know, she, her mission in life was to be 
uh, joyful and to love her husband. And she did it. And she's doing it. Even if it means he doesn't reciprocate because he can't. All right, lesson 11. You don't break ties with people. You break ties with the thought they produce. You don't break ties with people. You break ties with the thought they produce. You can seldom distance yourself from people you have truly loved or connected with in some way. However, in any relationship along the way, certain mismatch of ideologies causes people to stop communicating. This never happened to anybody listening to me, did it? No, of course not. This never means you are no longer associated with that person. It simply means that you don't associate with a dominant thought that person brings with him or her. And to avoid more conflict, you move away. Not necessarily physically, but emotionally. You don't talk to them anymore because you don't want to get yourself in trouble. You know what they say, you never talk about religion or politics with people that you know because you get yourself in trouble. And, and I mean, we're in an election season now here in the United States, and that's all people talk about is politics. And you know how divided we are. We can't figure out what's going on. And we divide ourselves as a community, and I think it's terrible. Because somebody is going to be the next president of the United States, and a lot of awful lot of people are going to be real unhappy about it. A lot of people are going to be real happy about it, but a lot of people are going to be grieving about it. That's grief. That's loss. When your guy doesn't win, that is a major loss. After you spend six months or two years, you know, supporting someone that you think would make a good president and they don't win, you are devastated. So Shukla says uh, the divorce is with the thought and never with the person. To understand that is to unburden yourself from being bitter and revengeful. So if somebody makes a statement that you don't like and then you decide, well, the hell with you, I'm never talking to you again. Well, that's kind of silly, ridiculous. Good people say bad things and good people disagree with you about things. Doesn't mean they're bad people. It means they're good people who have their own opinion about things. You disagree with other people. Doesn't mean you're bad. It means you're who you are. So Shukla says, you don't break ties with people because you disagree with them. You, you're only disagreeing with the thoughts and the words that come out of their mouths. And, and that's perfectly normal. It happens all the time. Now it's embarrassing sometimes, you know. What happens if your, your best friend says something that hurts you and, and you stop talking to them and your husband is best friends with her husband and, and they decide that the four of you are going to go out to dinner together? Let's say I'm making this up. Well, you're going to feel pretty uncomfortable and uneasy because unless you 
make it up, make up with that person unless you get together and talk about it and, you know, make it go away. You still want to be friends. You just don't. There are certain things you can't talk about. Okay, fine. All right. Last thing he learned, Shukla. 10% of what you earn should be kept aside for the Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A, which means charity. Dharma, Shukla doesn't define as something religious or spiritual. Instead, he says it is associated more with doing good for others and being responsible about that. A simple calculation, according to him, is to keep 10% of your income for goodwill. Give it away. That's what the Bible says. Tithe. Give it away. Give it to charity. There are lots of people in this world who are worse off than you are. And according to the Torah, our holy books, which some people call the Old Testament, even the poor have to give 10% away. There's always people less, you know, poorer than them. Many people donate or do charitable acts toward the end of their life because death is hard. In their suffering, they begin to empathize with other suffering. He says, those who have the companionship of loved ones, the blessings of unknown strangers, and an all-encompassing goodwill of people exit peacefully and gracefully. That is possible when you don't cling on to everything you have and leave some part of it for others. So those are the 12 things that Shukla has, the life lessons from a man who has seen 12,000 deaths. I love his lessons. We're going to study other people's learnings some other time. I want you to get a pen and a piece of paper. So I'm going to give you a phone number and I'm going to ask you for a favor. Get a pen and a piece of paper. I'm going to ask you a favor. I need you to do something for me. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down this number. 719-510-1901. One more time. 719-510-1901. That's my cell phone number. So here's the favor. In my next part of my life, I want to travel around the country teaching about what I've been teaching you about. I'd like to go to conferences. I'd like to go to mega churches. I'd like to go to organizations who would like to learn what I have to teach. Now, there's 11,000 of you listening to me. Surely you have suggestions for me. So I would love for you to either call me at that number or talk about me to somebody who could help me and invite me and uh, make the connection. And if you want to email me, Rabbi Mel, R-A-B-B-I-M-E-L, at griefok.com, G-R-I-E-F-O-K, the two letters, I want to travel. I want to teach. I want to be a national teacher. I want to be a national role model for how to deal with loss, grief, and healing. So do me a favor and think about it. 
and keep my phone number because everybody knows somebody. I know you know people who could use me as a speaker, and I want to be a speaker. So that's my favor, and that's my number, and um, you, you have my email address, rabbimail at griefok.com, so if you need to email me, that would be great. So thank you for listening to me. I've enjoyed teaching and learning together, and I look forward to next week when we'll do it again. Don't forget, you can go from morning to morning. Bye-bye, everybody. I'll see you next time. Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week.